You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Top of mind for so many Ontarians these days is the pace at which we are approaching the reopening of our economy. Here to explain where we are right now is the Minister of Labour, Training and Skills Development, Monty McNaughton. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Well, thanks for having me on, Anne. Some very encouraging news announced earlier this week by your government. Absolutely. Um, first off, we need to thank all the people in Ontario who've really come together uh, over the last couple of months to uh, really uh, to flatten the COVID-19 curve and to begin uh, defeating it. And we're seeing the numbers going in the right way. That's why the Premier uh, this past week was able to announce the reopening in the economy of many businesses across the province. Are you able to give us some more details about that? Right. Just in time for uh, Mother's Day weekend, uh, the Premier announced that uh, hardware stores could be open, for example. So like the Canadian Tires and Home Hardware stores and Home Depots will be able to be open just like the grocery stores are uh, currently. Garden centres and nurseries are now open so customers can browse through. And uh, a wider uh, area of the construction industry is also open uh, now. Very, very uh, good news. And of course, uh, next week on Monday, uh, May the 11th, all all retail businesses uh, can be open for a curbside pickup. Clearly moving in the right direction, but we do uh, ask people to be uh, very cautious, and we know the business community has really stepped up to improve uh, health and safety in those businesses. And what have they been asked to do, and what have they done to create a safe environment for their customers? In the last two weeks, I released about 70 guidelines that uh, businesses can follow depending on what sector uh, they're in. So, for example, we released uh, guidelines for retail, uh, what they can do to keep uh, their staff safe uh, as they return to work and to keep customers safe, uh, as well as manufacturing and agriculture and food processing. I mean, just dozens and dozens of uh, helpful uh, guides for businesses to follow. These can be found uh, on the government website, Ontario.ca forward slash coronavirus. So walk me through. Let's say I'm now going to go into a hardware store on Monday. Given the weekend, it's time to think about mom and, you know, stay close to family and, of course, social distancing. What will my retail experience be like when I go into a hardware store? You know, it'll obviously be very different than uh, what we saw and how we experience uh, shopping at a hardware store uh, prior to uh, COVID-19. This is actually uh, one of the businesses that I know well because prior to being in, in politics, my family and I ran uh, a home hardware building center in southwestern Ontario. So when customers go in this coming week, uh, it'll be very much like the experience going to a grocery store in the last uh, number of weeks where so many people will be uh, led into the store. Uh, I would expect that customers will see uh, the plexiglass between themselves and the cashier. Uh, We've recommended that uh, retail sales clerks carry hand sanitizer with them so they can keep themselves clean. There'll be a number of sensible uh, health and safety measures that customers should see. And will 
either the store operators and employees or and or the clients be required to wear masks, do you think? There's no requirement in the guidelines for customers to wear uh, PPE as they enter uh, the business. Now, the Occupational Health and Safety Act uh, clearly uh, lays out the requirements of business owners to keep their staff safe, to take all uh, precautions possible to keep their staff free from hazard. Uh, so there's a number of measures that we put in place in these guidelines that would uh, do that. And um, the guidelines also say that PPE um, will be a, a last resort in these businesses, for example, in, in retail. So as of Monday, all retail businesses can open up but curbside pickup. So how does that work? And I, I guess I'm now thinking about very small businesses who may not have enjoyed or explored the online experience. How does that work? Well, again, it'll be the new normal for the time being for these businesses. You know, they will be open for people to call in their orders uh, in advance and drive to that place of business and, and pick it up uh, at the front door. As well, these businesses can deliver products to people's homes. We've seen some very creative uh, ways that some of these businesses have operated uh, during the COVID crisis. So, for example, uh, prior to Premier Ford allowing uh, hardware stores to reopen, they were in the same position where they were open for curbside pickup or online ordering or for delivery. So that's where all of these new retail businesses that have been closed for a while, that's the state and stage that they'll be at as they reopen on Monday. Minister McNaughton, is this a big first step. Is it enough to reignite the economy? This is a huge first step. Thank you to all of the people listening, to all the people across the province because of them and the actions uh, that each uh, of us has done over the last couple of months. We've uh, exceeded expectations. I remember reading those early modeling projections uh, in the early days where, you know, at one point we thought thousands of people were going to uh, lose their lives uh, from COVID uh, by the end of April. Well, we've clearly exceeded expectations, thank goodness, but it is because of the, the people of the province. This will be a first step to reigniting the economy, but a long, long way to go. Um, I think it's going to take a while for consumer confidence to be uh, where it was prior to COVID-19, but we're going to continue as a government to work with the businesses and work with families every step of the way. And, you know, consumer confidence, as you say, it's important. So is available money. You know, it's very tough times for an awful lot of people who've been laid off. And of course, they're trying to access the support, the emergency fund, federally speaking, and that which you've offered on a provincial level. But for some, it might be very difficult to get back into the the rhythm of purchasing. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this has been a horrific situation for everyone, for families out there, as well for those small, medium and large size businesses who literally have had to send their staff home and, and shut their front doors. It's uh, going to take a, a long time. Um, I think certain sectors will uh, likely recover uh, faster than others, but we'll continue to monitor this situation. And uh, I know that, um, you know, our government announced uh, about a $17 billion uh, injection into the economy in the early days of COVID-19, uh, and there is going to be more to come. How important has your work with the Ontario Jobs and Recovery Committee, you and some other heavy hitters, that's for sure, representation from just about every sector of Ontario on that committee, how important has that work been? 
Well, it's really been uh, crucial and, and critical to the reopening of the economy. I mean, we are in phase one or stage one of, of the framework that we uh, announced a number of weeks ago. What we're actually doing now every single day is reaching out to businesses, to industry leaders, community leaders, to seek their input on, on what's needed to reopen the economy, to ignite the economy, as you said. So it's, it's very critical that we, we listen and then we come back with a, a plan to uh, ensure that all sectors of the economy gets firing on all cylinders as, as quickly as possible. Your title, Minister of Labour, Training and Skills Development, what stands out for me, skills, that word, are we going to need to, in order to keep pace with this new normal when our economy fully reopens, are we going to have to improve our skills or find new skills as workers? Absolutely. One of the things um, that that I announced uh, at the very beginning of covid was a plan to review all of the the training programs uh, in Ontario. So, for example, the second career program that gave about $28,000 per employee uh, during the uh, downturn in the 2008-2009 crisis, that program used to be about a $2 billion spend annually. Uh, last year, I think it was about $88 million. But that program actually hasn't been updated since we formed government and, and not for 12 or 14 years. So we're going through all the training programs. We know that coming out of this, it's going to be absolutely critical to upskill workers to retrain those who unfortunately have uh, lost work. Uh, and with the pace of technology uh, predicted to accelerate and, and change uh, after COVID-19 and because of it, uh, we just need to be there for, for these workers and, and we're going to be. Minister McNaughton, what has prepared you for this? You became the Minister of Labour, Training and Skills Development and Ontario was open for business and then some beyond, booming. You know, how did what prepared you for this? How have you learned how to handle this? Well, it certainly uh, came out of uh, nowhere. Premier Ford uh, has done, uh, I think, just a, a great job. His measured approach has been um, just exactly what the province needed during this crisis. You know, for me, I think it's it's growing up in a in a family-run business. Um, I mean, our family. I remember the first day we opened our doors in the hardware business. We had two people, and we grew the company. And it was by listening to customers, by people in our community, by family. And it's taking that approach to this uh, crisis for me, I think, has personally guided me through this. Of course, probably like a lot of others, uh, a lot of prayers to get through some of these days. It appears that you are listening to Ontarians. What are they saying to you and what's been the response since the big announcement this past Wednesday? Well, very, uh, I mean, people are very positive, very supportive. You know, the Premier gets out every day at Queen's Park and, you know, thanks to 14.5 million people who have uh, gotten the province uh, through this. But people have been overwhelmingly supportive. Uh, we get lots of feedback, lots of uh, ideas. You know, we really take that advice when it comes to reopening the economy, for example. We had heard that, you know, when we opened up garden centers and nurseries for a few days last week for curbside pickup, uh, we clearly heard that these businesses needed to be open uh, in advance of Mother's Day. And uh, the Premier, sure enough, announced that these businesses will be open before Mother's Day. Good news for them, and that's the approach that we've taken. Dare we talk about what's next? May I ask that of you? <laughs> you know, everything is based on uh, the data. So it's based on, you know, that curve and, and the flattening of that. 
Last week, we saw the numbers going down. As long as that continues, more businesses will reopen. So let's monitor. There's a lot of businesses open now that weren't open two weeks ago. And we'll see um, what the trend and how it looks going forward. Well, it appears that you and your government have made this a very happy Mother's Day weekend. Uh, the Minister of Labor, Training and Skills Development, Monty McNaughton, thank you so much for sharing this time with us on the feed. Well, thank you, Anne, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. <laughs> thank you so much. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to have an impact on our mental health and well-being, but there are supports available. Galit Solomon with the resources at York Region Public Health. These have been trying times for many of us, and as the self-isolation continues, it's not only physical health that we need to consider, but mental health as well. York Region Public Health Manager Charlene Gunn-Hagerman joins us now with some insights uh, on how to manage the stress we're feeling. Charlene, welcome to the feed. Uh, Thank you very much. I'd like to begin by talking about some of the services that are available through York Region. People might not necessarily be uh, aware of what's available through public health providers. Uh, So what can you tell us about the resources that are out there for us to access? Sure. There are quite a few um, resources that can be accessed. And from public health, we work with a lot of um, different partners. So um, if you were to go to our website, york.ca backslash COVID-19, we do have a, a page where there's a number of different um, resources. We do have our own um, health connection line that individuals um, can call if they would like. And we also would suggest that people could call Telehealth Ontario, Um, uh, The Canadian Mental Health Association is a great um, website and link, and that can be linked from our page. And if you're um, talking about um, children and youth, then the Kids Help Phone um, is a great resource as well, and we highly recommend that. And there's also for adults and frontline workers, uh, Connects Ontario um, is a line that they can call if they're dealing with the sort of the realities of COVID-19. Um, and all of these can be accessed through our website. As well. Okay, that's great. Now, you know, this brings up a very interesting um, notion. I think that while a lot of work has been done around mental health, especially in recent years, there still seems to be a little bit of a stigma that's attached to it. But when I hear about the resources, they, they're, they're more general um, it sounds to me there are more general resources that are available out there. And so if you're, you are reaching out to um, a health network, they would have an area that deals, I'm assuming, specifically with mental health as well. Is that correct? Yes, for sure. And I, I think you're right. We've, we've done a lot of work in public health to try and reduce the the stigma associated um, with mental health and mental illness, and I think we've made some great strides, um, and I think that we're seeing more and more um, individuals actually reaching out. I, I work a little bit more specifically with children and youth, but um, seeing that there are more people talking about it, reaching out, and all of the um, resources that I suggested uh, do have a lot of really great um, mental health-specific um, supports, whether people are dealing um, just with sort of a, a, their general mental health or struggling because of the situation we're in right now and everyone's going to have their ups and downs or there's individuals who 
are struggling, you know, with a mental illness and um, having more issues now mm. with the situation we're in. Um, resources are there for, for everybody. So, so let's dive into some of the details then. You know, what are some of the feelings that, you know, may be triggered right now by the current COVID-19 environment and, uh, and crisis that we're dealing with? For sure. I think there's probably a, a lot of different um, feelings that people will be having, and everyone is going to experience it a little bit differently. But, you know, stress and anxiety and anger and sadness, I think, are are all things that people will be experiencing um, at different times and in different um, situations. And I, and I think that a lot of these um, things would be completely normal. We would expect people to be experiencing them. And then if individuals are finding that they're experiencing them more often or they're sort of not able to bounce back like they were before, um, then that's when we would be recommending that they would reach out and try and get some support. And as we, it's interesting because at, at the top of our interview, I was saying, you know, as as the weeks go on and, and the self-isolation is still in place, would you say we might find that more and more of these sort of mental health concerns are arising? And is that normal? If that's even um, a word we should be using when we talk about uh, mental right. health, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I mean, this is, this is unprecedented times and we've never experienced something like this. So I think we're going to learn a lot, but I would say that um, for individuals who are experiencing, you know, these feelings of stress and anxiety, um, you know, having to isolate, and even if you're at home and you have people at home um, and you're isolating, you still might have those feelings of of being alone or you're not in your regular routine. So I, I think that, you know, people are going to be experiencing a wide range of these emotions. And, and I think that, you know, some might experience them more as we move along. And, and you know, other people are going to find a little bit of a, a routine in the sort of new normal that we have mm-hmm. um, right now and um, might be finding that they're actually feeling a little bit better because they've been able to, to deal with some of these issues and find their new routine. So I would say we probably would have a wide range of what people are experiencing, but that, um, everyone should know that whatever they're experiencing um, is is fine, and if if they're having struggles with it, then definitely reach out because there's lots of of people that, people in support out there for them. Mm-hmm. Now, there's uh, two populations in particular I think I'd like to address next. One of them being young people. Um, maybe maybe as young as as you know kindergarten or or grade 1 where you know they they are old enough to understand that there are uh, changes happening around them not going to school for instance being one of them and having to do school work at home but the environment has changed now they're home with their their parents likely uh for much longer periods of time um so so in terms of younger people let's begin there um Sure. Are there certain signs that we should be keeping an eye out for? Uh, for sure. And I, and I would say, again, it, it, it would depend on sort of your, your individual children mm-hmm. and, and what you know about them. But we know that um, signs of sort of stress and anxiety in children, we can see them in a variety of different ways. So they, they might have difficulty concentrating. They might um, not be sleeping well, possibly waking up with um, nightmares. Uh, their eating um, habits might be a little bit off. Um, maybe they're a bit quicker to get angry or irritable or, or sort of be a little bit more out of control, um, having an outburst. Um, but you could also see the opposite and, and see that maybe they're being 
a little fidgety or, or clingy or they just they need to be close to you a little bit more. So I, I think all of these are a variety of signs and symptoms of children experiencing um, stress. And I would say, again, that these are all, you know, quite sort of normal things mm-hmm. that we would expect to see. And I would say that when you don't you see these going on for an extended period of time, um, perhaps then you would want to um, sort of look into a little bit more and then possibly reach out and see if there's some support available. Right. It's interesting. I have a six-year-old and I'm finding that at night he tells me that he's he's not ready to go to bed and so he pushes it further and further and further back. And uh, and obviously we're trying to maintain a routine as much as possible, but there's a bit more right. insistence in that too. So, so yeah, definitely noticing that difference in, in behaviors as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead, sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say that you, you did mention routines, and, and building routines I think is really Im- important right now in, in whatever um, routine you're able to build, but within that we have to have, you know, a little bit of um, flexibility. And, you know, even young children, um, they're aware of what's happening. You know, they they hear things, they see it on the news, and, and just having sort of open and honest conversations with them that are age-appropriate, mm-hmm. um, I think is important, too, because they, they know things are very different. Right. Let's talk about the, the um, sort of opposite side of the spectrum, the senior population. Um, and, and this is a population that's likely been most affected um, when it comes to physical symptoms, right? Um, and and mm-hmm. so from a mental perspective, um, what, uh, what should we be looking out for? Right. So they could be experiencing some of the same sort of signs and symptoms I mentioned before, but other things, um, there might be excessive worry or fear, sort of like you mentioned, maybe, you know, checking and rechecking um, for safety. Uh, Physically, um, they might experience um, a racing heart. Um, With that, maybe, you know, shallow breathing, Mm -hmm. feeling of nausea, sweating. Like, these are all things um, that they could be experiencing um, if they're having challenges with this, um, with the COVID-19, and knowing that in the older population, um, they're more at risk if they do become sick. So it's understandable um, that they might be experiencing these feelings. It, it, and again, very interesting. I'll give you a, another personal anecdote. I live with my mom, who is a senior, and uh, and she's at home. She usually goes to day programs, but obviously can't do that right now. Um, and I know that many people in York Region do have an extended member of the family, perhaps living with them, who may be senior. What uh, what would your advice be from a strategy perspective on helping them to cope? Um, I think some of the things that I've, I've mentioned before, I mean, again, everybody sort of likes routines and, you know, knowing a routine or having a routine. Um, again, talking sort of openly and honestly with them to find out what what their fear and anxiety um, is, right? I mean, there's lots of news um, going on and making sure that people are getting accurate information um, and that their sources are credible is important. And then, you know, I would say, talking with them to, to see what feelings that they're experiencing. So, and sometimes it's just nice to be able to talk it out with someone or, mm-hmm. you know, um, suggesting that they connect with um, friends, right? We are, we're able to do that. It's not the same in person, but, you know, over the phone or there's different technologies, um, but to encourage still having that social component um, 
that people might be missing in, in sort of the isolation. Right. Okay. And then um, a reminder of where people can go for help again when it comes to uh, the region I- itself and public health. Right. So the, uh, the best uh, place to go is our website, so york.ca, and uh, specifically york.ca backslash COVID-19. Um, there's a number of links that I'd mentioned before, mm-hmm. and they're all in one place there. So if they went there, they'd be able to find a number of these different resources. Okay. Very good. Charlene Gunn Hagerman, the York Region Public Health Manager, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm Ann Romer. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Connecting with one another is so important, even at the best of times. During these days of COVID-19, it's even more valuable than ever. Afuaba with a group of young people and seniors chatting to wellness. Physical distancing measures in place during the COVID-19 pandemic can make self-isolation difficult for some, but there is an organization that is helping to pair two different generations together to help connections going, which is, of course, needed during these times. So joining me to chat today about chatting to wellness is President and Founder Mahad Shahzad. Mahad, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Okay, so first up, for those that may not know, what is Chatting to Wellness about? So Chatting to Wellness is a nonprofit organization that connects youth and seniors to combat the isolation and loneliness many seniors are feeling right now. Um, we previously were visiting retirement homes, uh, one-on-one in-person visits with seniors there. And now with COVID-19, we've shifted that online and are now accessible to not just seniors in retirement homes, but those in long-term care, hospitals, and seniors who live uh, on their own, own as well, available, available Canada-wide. That's awesome. Okay, so how did this idea come about? Sure. So this really came from a visit I took back home to Pakistan um, in South Asia uh, in my first year of university. So I was 18 at the time, um, I went back home, and I noticed that my grandparents, if you don't know, you know how people live in South Asia, oftentimes families will live together in big houses. So my grandparents were living with my uncle, my other uncle, their wives, their kids, so a lot of people in one house, um, a lot of family. Even though that was the case, they were still eating by themselves, watching TV by themselves, doing everything on their own. And so that really stuck with me. So when I came back here, you know, um, later that summer, I was still thinking about it. And I did some research and I looked into it and I said, you know, if that's how things are back home where family values are such a big deal, what's it like over here? And so we looked into like retirement homes, long-term care and all this stuff. And we you know, did a lot of research and we found that there was a huge amount of isolation and abandonment in retirement homes. And this was coupled with um, a huge amount of suicide among seniors, which is which is just so unheard of because oftentimes when people think about suicide or mental health, think about youth because there's so many helplines and counseling services and all this money put towards youth mental health, and it's needed, but seniors need it as well. But there's nothing there for them. There's no helplines, no you know dedicated senior mental health services. And so I set out and I said, you know, as much as an 18-year-old um, university student can do, I want to create something to help. And so what we did was I got a couple of my friends together, and what we did, we just started visiting retirement homes every couple of weeks and just talking with the seniors. The way I describe the impact is very, very simple. I say, you know, if you, and I'm sure a lot of people relate to this, have ever been stressed or worried about something, when you talk to a friend or a family member about it, even if they don't solve your problem for you, you still feel better afterwards, right? And that's what we provide to the seniors, a shoulder to lean on, a friend to talk to. And since 2017, um, we scaled to 
Uh, we're operating across seven different cities. We passed 3,000 of these one-on-one chatting sessions uh, early 2020. Pre-COVID, we were helping 300-plus seniors every single month and with a team of just over 30 volunteers. Wow. So look at the work that you've been doing. And you know what? I think you have tapped into something that, as you mentioned, isn't really discussed. And, and it's it's basically, I mean, the self-isolation in general of seniors once they are moved to either right retirement homes, long-term care homes. Um, it's almost like they're in, in that place by themselves. Um, and that connection, and as you mentioned, just having that chat, that may be lost. And so you've tapped into something that I don't think people really uh, take into account that um, they're is a definite need there for that social connection to continue. So kudos to you on that. Um, now, I know that you said that you started this when you were 18 or so. So approximately how many years then have you been um, running Chatting to Wellness then? Yeah, so just under three years. We started in 2017. I'm 21 now. I'm about to graduate university. Um, yeah, so it's just been a, it's been a nice three years. Congratulations on that then. That's awesome. Okay, so then how many youth uh, have registered so far? So pre-COVID, we had a team of about 30 people. And since we launched on April 14th, it's been just over two weeks, I think. We've had over 100 people sign up to volunteer, um, which is a ton of people. Uh, we've had people who aren't even youth, actually. We had someone as old as, I think, 63 sign up um, saying they wanted to help out as well. So that's really nice. We have people from all over um, the age demographics. So people are, if people are interested in what we do and they care about it, you know, feel free to sign up and we'll find you know, a place for them to help out. That is so great. That's so beautiful to hear. And um, just briefly, if you can touch on the seniors that you've spoken to uh, pre-COVID during your regular one-on-one person meetings, how has that experience been like? Yeah, I think that was incredible. Really, there's so much that we, you know, provide to the seniors, especially a lot of these seniors, you know, they may not have friends or family visit um, very often at all, right? And some go months, even years, without any sort of companionship like that. And they get stuck in the room or they just don't feel like, you know, engaging with others because they just have that kind of maybe the resentment, maybe that, you know, uh, lack of self-confidence or something uh, that, you know, when we started out, I remember there was one senior I met who, when we were talking to her, she was overjoyed. And, and I noticed nurses were like pointing and looking and I went up to them and I asked, hey, is like everything okay? You know, we're new. We want to make sure everything's all right. And they said, yeah, we, we've never seen Irene so happy before. And I said, why? And they said, you know, she hasn't had visitors in over 25 years. And that was crazy to me. I was 19 at the time. Um, this happened. And someone had gone my entire life, and then some, without any friends or family. She was 108 years old, gone 25 years without any sort of friends or family, besides nurses and doctors. And that just, it really speaks to the situation a lot of seniors are in. And so if we can bring a you know, smile to their face you know, every once in a while, I think that's worth it. Wow, that just touched my heart there. I mean, yeah. just that small <laughs> impact. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, and then what is some of the feedback that you've received about the program, either from maybe youth that have signed up uh, that you have mm-hmm. connected with so far, or maybe even um, the the healthcare workers that are in the homes and see the direct impact that it's had on the seniors? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to touch on both of those. They're very different. Um, the healthcare workers, you know, in the homes that we visit, they notice us change very quickly uh, with the seniors where they're just all of a sudden they're more interested in their surroundings and their environment. Um, senior, we, we actually did a study based off of this, and we found that um, seniors that we spoke with for three consecutive visits, 90% of them started engaging significantly more with their community than they did before, meaning they were either asking to go to activities, they were talking to other residents, or they were starting to have conversations with staff. And that doesn't, may not sound like a lot, but for seniors who've gone months, maybe years, um, living on their own and just doing everything on their own, that's a huge jump. And so healthcare workers, they see that 
even after we're gone, these seniors are now more open to social connections. They're more open to companionship. They're more open to making friends. Um, and on the student side of things, I hear this all the time. People learn so much from, you know, a lot of people call them the greatest generation. A lot of these people were in World War uh, One and Two, and we learn a ton about them and their past and how things were back in the day. Um, and, and people, I think, youth, they just learn to empathize more. They are able to have a conversation and, and talk to somebody who is three, four, maybe even five times their age. If you can build a connection and understand someone like that, why can't you do it, you know, with everyone in your day-to-day life? So I feel like our volunteers are much more empathetic and understanding of others uh, who are different from them after having experience like this. So great to hear the, the, the positive impact on both sides of this. Okay, so how are you basically able to, to run this organization day-to-day, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, things must be difficult right now. Yeah, for sure. So since we started, you know, we've been student run and student funded a lot of it by my, you know, from myself, we've gotten a smaller, you know, donations here and there, but especially with COVID right now and us shifting online, there's a lot more costs involved. So if anyone, you know, if you believe in what we're doing, if you like what we're doing, you think there's value to it, uh, it'd be amazing if you go on our website and again, chattingswellness.ca and make a donation. Um, it really helps us out. How then do volunteers get to sign up for this program? Sure. So those who are interested can go on our website, chattingswellness.ca. There's a volunteer form available there, and they can just fill that out, and we'll reach out to them uh, when we have the need. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of signups right now. Perfect. Okay, Mahad, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about this program. It's been uh, so great. It's actually (laughs) helped me really understand a side that I never really knew about. So thank you for that, and continue the great work that you're doing. Thank you very much. Mahad says seniors can call in to register for the Chatting to Wellness program by calling 437-702-2025. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region, so it might not be quite warm enough to get your hands dirty, but garden centers are now open. They've had to change, though, the way they go and grow. Tina Cortez explains. Sawi Kim joins us next on the feed, and he's here to tell us about the Sharon Garden Center. Welcome to the show, Sawi. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about Sharon Garden Center? Where are you located? Uh, sure. Um, we're located on the southeast corner of uh, Keel and Rutherford, which is in Vaughan. Uh, the specific address is 8733 Keel Street. And how long have you been there? Is this a family-run business? Yes, it is run by my mom and my stepdad. And uh, me and my stepbrother, we help out uh, once in a while on the weekends, mainly. Um, We've been here about three years now. And why did you want to get involved in the family business? Uh, So my mother has a background in in being a florist. Uh, She used to actually... Uh, work at Sharon Flower and Garden with the previous owners. And so when, I guess, they wanted to retire, they asked her if she would like to continue on the business. And so she agreed, and that's how we got here. That's great. Now, what about in terms of COVID-19? How has your business been impacted by the virus? Uh, Well, the thing with our garden center is that we get a lot of custom arrangements from clients every year. So, uh, let's say that a client wants to uh, decorate their uh, front yard or their the entrance to their home. Um, they per- they mainly come into the store, uh, consult with my mom about what kind of colors that they want and what kind of flowers they want. 
And so now that we can't really have face-to-face interactions, it's a little difficult for us to, uh, I guess, meet the needs of uh, a lot of our clients. Now, recently the province gave the go-ahead to at least partially reopen. How has that been going for you? Um, Yeah, it was uh, great to hear that news. Um, It's been going pretty well, but the thing is, um, because we're a mainly, like you said, a a family-run business, we don't really have technology background, and we don't really have a we didn't have a website that was uh, too popular before, and so we kind of had to revamp the whole thing in order for our customers to know that they can order from there. And so we kind of made a quick website as well as a Facebook page so that they can kind of navigate through our uh, stock and so th- and that uh, they can order kind of off the website so they can deliver or pick up. Do you think the situation has changed the way you do business forever? Um, well, I don't think we will mainly continue to do the online business just because it's a little hard to uh, consult with people who want specific arrangements. But um, it's it's good in the sense that we kind of have this uh, online option for customers as well that don't want to come in. So it although it's, it's uh, negative currently, I think in the future it can really help. What advice do you have for those who are anxious to start planting? Now, this weekend, it's quite cold, actually. You know, some have called it a polar vortex Mm -hmm. this weekend. But, uh, you know, again, maybe it's not the right time to plant. But hopefully in the coming weeks, traditionally, Victoria Day weekend is usually busy. What advice do you have for those who are ready to get at it? Well, actually, um, the busiest weekend we have... uh, Earliest in the season is actually this weekend for Mother's Day. So a lot of customers will come. I'm anticipating, or we're all anticipating a lot of customers to come this weekend. But uh, advice would be to kind of just have in mind whatever you want to grow for the season, whether it be perennial flowers or uh, annual plants, and just buy early and, I guess, continue to water and give them a lot of sun. Nisawa, you mentioned your Facebook page and your website. Could you share those addresses with us? Sure. Uh, the website we have is SharonFlowerAndGarden.com. And so that's the website you uh, customers can use to order online. Uh, it'll come to our, our, our end, and so we can see what order you would want. And so that's how we navigate the uh, deliveries and uh, or, uh, curbside pickups. And on Facebook, you can just search up Sharon Flower and Garden, and you can see the different types of arrangements as well as uh, uh, flower options that we have as well. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region. I'm Ann Romer. Over to Jim Lang next with a local NHL player pretty anxious to get back at it. Well, we're into May. The hockey should and could be back soon with players reporting to their respective teams and getting ready for the season, which will be played out in the summer. And one of those getting ready is... Uh, often we consider one of the fittest players in the NHL from Stovall, Ontario. Spent a lot of time in York Region honing his skills before he made a huge in the OHL to the NHL. A veteran defenseman, Michael Delzato, joining us in the feed. Michael, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. This is different for all of us. I guess, first up, I want to ask you, 
I mean, you are historically working with Matt Nickel, working on a lot of NHLers, one of the, considered one of the top five fittest players in the league. How are you staying in shape while you're self-quarantining? Uh, it's definitely tough. Uh, I've been at my house in Etobicoke now for four or five years, and I purposely didn't put a gym in because I'm, I'm very much a homebody in the summertime. And if I knew, I knew if I put a gym in, I would never leave. So um, I haven't put one in, and now it's kind of backfiring in a situation like this. But I have some dumbbells at home. I have my road bike. Uh, I've been running a little bit, which is, is something that I've uh, despised in the past. But I'm just trying to find ways to stay active and maintain as opposed to um, build muscle mass or whatnot. Because we don't know if we could be back in four weeks or if everything's canceled. I could not be playing until December. So I'm using this opportunity to rest my body, uh, just maintain um, the toughest part is trying to keep a routine with limited uh, equipment. And to be honest, I've just been eating a lot less, and that's been the biggest thing for me and probably the biggest struggle is because I love cooking. I've gone into baking as well, and um, that's not the, <laughs> not the best thing for your body. So I've been uh, limiting uh, my calories and my, my intake so I don't have to uh, push myself as hard. We, we hear a lot about how families are using Zoom to stay in touch. But you become like a family when you're part of an NHL team, and you have a brotherhood of players you played in different teams with. How much are you guys relying on social media and Zoom to, just to stay connected with each other? Yeah, um, in Anaheim, we have a, a group team chat, so we've been texting back and forth on there, keeping it light, and then obviously using it to, to keep everyone up, updated as to what's going to happen with the league. Um, and then some other buddies from other teams just texting uh FaceTime and whatnot. So trying to keep that social interaction there, which uh, we're obviously lacking from being at the rink. You, 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 talk, you mentioned fitness earlier, Michael. When you guys do come back, do you think, what, two weeks of good practice and skating and camp to, before you're ready to get on the ice and play a game again? How long do you think it'll take? Yeah, yeah it depends when we come back. If we come back in May or June, I think two to three weeks is, is ample time. If it's not till July, August, we may need another week. Um, I know there's been talks about four weeks, and in my opinion, that's just too long. Um, that's, that's just too many practices, um, and, and it's just a, a week or two wasted um, of games that we should be playing and uh, lengthening the season and lengthening potentially guys' uh, time away from families and, and risking their uh, their health. Speaking with Michael Delzato, veteran defenseman of the Anaheim Ducks, a former Stovall native and former star with the OHL. Um, what will the quality of play be like in the NHL after this long of a break and then restarting the season again? Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's what I'm, I'm most excited about, um, more so as, as, as a fan, because um, obviously we're not going to be making the playoffs. So when playoffs do come back, uh, if they do come back, sorry, um, the quality of play is it's probably going to be the best we've seen in, in a long, long time, just because you're going to have players all teams are going to be healthy all teams are going to be rested your star players that are used to playing you know forwards 20 20 minutes a night some defensemen 25 26 they're going to be rested and healthy um the the brand of hockey is going to be extremely fun to watch so i'm definitely excited for that we often hear about what a grind it is to to work through an nhl season a lot of travel a lot of practice it's hard in the mind and body because you guys have been forced away from the game you love so long because of the COVID-19 situation. Are you finding you miss it more than you have before in the past? Um, yes and no. Uh, you know, I'm finishing up my 11th season, and I, I definitely still love the game, but as you get older and you get these breaks, you try to take advantage of them because you realize um, more and more uh, as you mature and as you uh, realize what's important in life, uh, what's more important in life, and that's family, friends, health, safety. Um, so using this time to 
uh, for me at least, uh, to grow more as a human being and, uh, and learn each day and, and realize who I am as a person and try to spend more family time. Unfortunately, we can't right now with the isolation and whatnot, but, um, this break, I think it just allows an opportunity for you to take a step back away from the game and reflect on the rest of life. And, um, it's been enjoyable for me and I, I've taken, um, this time, you know, being living alone, I've had a lot of free time. So I've actually just started, uh, volunteering my time at the Daily Bread Food Bank here in Etobicoke. Um, I've been doing live DJ sets on, uh, on my Instagram live to raise money for families in need during COVID. So it's allowed me to, um, put more effort and time into other interests and hobbies that I have. So, uh, to be quite honest, I, I've kind of enjoyed the, the time away a little bit. Um, it's been great for me mentally. Well, I got to admit, I, when I first saw you doing DJ thing, I said, what's this all about? You, you're good. Like, where did you pick up the skills? <laughs> I've always loved music. You know, I play the alto saxophone as well. When I was in Philly, um, like pretty much the last four or five years, I've been the only single guy on the team. So, um, I was watching Netflix like six, seven hours a day after practice. <laughs> and I finally got to the point. I'm like, I, I need to find a hobby. I need to do something more uh, productive with my time. So I bought myself uh, some turntables. And like most things now, you can go on YouTube and teach yourself to do, you know, pretty much anything. And I've also benefited from having um, some some really big DJs as friends. You know, um, Zeko and Torres are from Toronto, Loud Luxury, uh, Toronto guys as well. And then Tiesto is, you know, arguably the biggest DJ of all time. I've been to numerous uh, sets of his all over the world. Um, so I benefited from that. And like anything, practice makes perfect. It just became a thing where I was making mixes in the locker room to pump guys up and that seemed to be fun and it just kind of took off and now I'm trying to use it to uh, use that, that skill and passion of mine to, to raise money for, for people who are in need. What's the DJ scene like in Southern California? You're playing in Orange County with Anaheim. Are there some pretty good DJs in Southern California? Yeah, it's a, a nice little pocket where we are. It's uh, a little bit quiet, which is nice. It's not the craziness of LA, but you know, if you want to get into that scene uh, with the DJs and and uh, the nightlife, you know, you have L.A., which is an hour north, and then you also have San Diego, an hour south, where, um, you know, tons of big DJs are there um, playing at Omnia and these Vegas-style clubs. So I have some buddies that have been there. Unfortunately, I haven't got to see any uh, this season uh, in California, but uh, that's more of an off-season thing where I'll, you know, go to a venue and, and see some buddies uh, do their thing. Because to me, it's uh, it's unique to have that experience and to see, you know, what friends of yours um how they perform or how they enjoy their what their life is like and, and to see the passion and joy they get out of um, doing their occupation and, and the love they have for it, I think is a, a pretty cool experience. I get it now because you think about the, the whole concept of 10,000 hours. You've got that and then some when it comes to hockey. So that break DJing must sort of just refresh your mind and it'll sort of recharge the batteries. So you go back to the rink, you're ready to go. Yeah, that's what I've actually found uh, to be the most beneficial thing with music is you know, if you have a, uh, an unfortunate day at the rink or whatever it may be, um, uh, life-wise, to get into music um, just kind of takes your mind off everything. And then on top of that, just being able to play at different venues, the coolest part about music is it's an international language, right? It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Everyone enjoys music. So to be able to, to play music, listen to music, and have a, put a smile on someone's face or help them, um, you know, mentally get over whatever negative negativity they have going on in their in their life i think is um you know pretty cool pretty cool thing to have beautiful michael really appreciate you taking the time stay safe stay healthy and uh hopefully fingers crossed we see you back in the ice uh, dangling for the anaheim ducks uh, shortly because we are all missing hockey thank you so much for having me and i hope you and your loved ones stay safe
Thanks, Michael. Talk soon. Okay. Thanks so much. According to Health Canada, there is no evidence to suggest that pregnant women are at a higher risk of becoming seriously ill from COVID-19. But the concern for expectant and new moms and their babies is very real. Krista Popolo became a new mom earlier this week, and lucky for us, the baby is feeding, and she could squeeze us in for a quick chat. First, congratulations, and happy Mother's Day, Krista. Thank you. Tell us about the baby. Uh, so I delivered a baby boy. We named him Quinn Thomas on May 4th. Uh, he arrived at 7.40 in the evening at Markham Stobel Hospital. So can I ask you, what was delivery like in these days of COVID-19? Uh, the delivery itself um, was pretty consistent with what I think um, other mothers have experienced, with the exception that um, hospital rules were very um, strict in terms of uh, no visitors were allowed in. I was allowed one support person, uh, which was my husband. Um, and throughout the process uh, leading up to the birth, the rules did continuously change where there was periods of time. he We were told he wasn't going to be allowed in the delivery room. Um, there was a period of time they told me he would be allowed in, but regardless of how long after uh, the birth, um, he would have to leave two hours um, after the birth, um, whether I was accompanied with him or not. Uh, so, you know, that constantly changing was, was stressful leading up to the birth, but um, it all worked out in the end. And so how long were you in hospital? Uh, so I went into the hospital uh, around 10.30 in the morning. Um, I had labored at home overnight for nine hours prior to that. Um, and then at seven o'clock is when they told me that it was, it was go time. <laughs> and so did you stay in hospital that evening? Did you stay in hospital one night then? I didn't. Um, oh. so I was under the care of Durham midwives and, um, they, they discharged me. The baby was delivered at 741 was the exact time he came out and I was discharged at 1030 PM to go home. Um, so it wasn't kept overnight. Now, with that said, um, it was a natural birth. So I know if um, it was uh, a cesarean uh, type of birth, then obviously you'd be kept overnight. In terms of the hospital setting, what was it like? Uh, the hospital setting was very different. Um, usually when you go into a hospital, um, you know, you'll see lots of people walking around, people, you know, grabbing a Tim Hortons because they're maybe waiting for a loved one to finish up a surgery or, or have a birth. Um, there was not a soul in sight. Um, I probably passed by three people and those three people were hospital workers, all of which were wearing masks. Um, in addition to masks, the face guards um, to protect themselves. Yeah. And then you go in to the hospital, you also get handed a mask and asked the standard COVID questions. And what's it been like since you've had Quinn at home? You obviously have not been able to have family and friends over to, to visit, right? That's correct. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're just trying to look at everything with a positive spin in that, you know, my husband and I are, are able to take this time and really form a bond as a family. I know that a lot of times when people deliver, um, 
all of your friends and family want to come over, which is lovely, but it can also be overwhelming as a new mom because you're still trying to figure things out and, and get into a groove with the baby. So we've been doing window visits. Uh, where people will get to see Quinn through the window, um, but there's absolutely no uh, contact with other people, um, which was strict orders from not only midwives but also OBs just because um, until the baby gets an immunity and until there's further research done to know how COVID exactly affects a newborn, um, we're not really prepared to take those chances. Absolutely not. Now, in the first weeks and months, uh, babies visit the doctor. What is the plan for that? So, again, because I'm under the care of midwives, which is why I I, I chose the the care of midwives, but that was long before COVID happened. Um, One of the perks is that uh, they come to your house afterwards um, so that you're not having to go to a clinic or, you know, um, leave your home. So that's another uh, reason why after delivery I'm just, I was discharged so quickly because um, once they gave him his uh, necessary shots right after birth, then they will send uh, a designated midwife to your home who um, will come and, and check up on the baby and do those checks that you normally would have to leave your home and go to a doctor's office for. And any concern having a midwife come into your home? Um, no, actually, the midwife visited today, um, and she was suited up the same way that um, the nurses, doctors um, in the hospital, um, you know, they're taking the, the, the same precautions, um, and you're assigned a consistent midwife, so it's the same person. It's not that you're getting a different person all the time. And what about advice for expectant mothers out there? What do you want to tell them? Um, I want to tell them that, you know, despite it being, um, you know, crazy, crazy times and uncertain times, unprecedented times, um, you will get through it. It will be amazing no matter what it looks like for you, whether you do a, a home birth, a hospital birth, you're with an OB midwives, um, and at the end of the day, when you come home with a beautiful baby girl or baby boy, it makes everything worth it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I've got to ask, is Quinn sleeping through the night yet? I know he's not even awake. <laughs> <laughs> the first night that we came home from the hospital, they had said to me, you know, give him a, a feed and go straight to bed after babies um, deliver. They tend to uh, get sleepy. So she said, you know, and I know that you guys are excited and you're probably going to want to stay up and, and celebrate, but, you know, go to bed because the baby's going to sleep. And luckily we took her advice. We did the first night we came home. Um, I think I fed him last feed. It was like 1130. He slept right through till 520. Um, so last night was kind of our first full day, full night um, being at home, and uh, it was a sleepless night. He was feeding the entire night. His schedule is a little bit backwards, where I think he thinks daytime is nighttime, nighttime is daytime. So um, I think I'm in for a long couple of days ahead, but uh, that's okay. It's absolutely okay, and um, I can tell you from someone whose kids did not sleep through the night for a long, long time, you will get through this. So congratulations, and happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much. Oh, congratulations, Krista. And to all the moms, happy Mother's Day from us here at 105.9 The Region. 
For the latest developments on COVID-19 and exclusive updates from York Region's Medical Officer of Health, go to 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.